So John chapter 18, verse 1 through 11. Let me go ahead and read through this whole passage here together first. And the passage will also be on the slides. Starting in verse 1. Sorry. All right. Starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So, if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he has spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Oh, we end here this story here, this narrative with Simon Peter, and and we have to feel for him, don't we? To feel really the pain that Simon Peter was going through at that moment when he's witnessing his Lord being taken away. I mean, he felt vulnerable. This, this man, Jesus Christ, a man who Peter chose to follow, meaning he gave up his career, he gave up his family, he gave his life to follow this man. It's like taking your life savings and investing into a home where all your dreams, your goals, your hopes are in, and, you're, you're, and then you're just watching it get it all taken away with nothing in return. Jesus was about to be arrested, and Peter... Man, Peter was devastated. I mean, imagine yourself. Put yourself in Peter's shoes in that moment. You, you've been with Jesus for three years. You're watching him do miracle after miracle, right? You're watching him cast out demons, feed 5,000, calming the storms, raising the dead to life. And now, really, Jesus, you're going to be given just like that? You're just going to be arrested? I mean, do something, Jesus. You're the son of God. You see, Peter was literally at his knees. He's watching his hopes, his dreams get stolen away. Perhaps some of you are here tonight and you feel exactly what Peter is going through at this moment. You feel like you need to go on the offensive, to attack back. You look upon our world today, you see the cultural wave, and it's threatening to take everything you care about, your family, your marriage, your church, your beliefs, your faith, your value, your joy, and you feel the pressure. You feel the pressure, the need to do 
something. It's no wonder to him why Peter acted the way he did. He needed to act. He needed to do something. He was watching this whole scene unfold before him, and he felt the pressure to act, and so he drew his sword. Well, really, it it wasn't really a sword. It's actually more like a small dagger, probably a a pocket knife size. So, you know, he, he, he wasn't really much, yet he drew it, and he cut off Malchus's right ear. Now, Peter was either a really bad swordsman, or Malchus was some kind of secret heavyweight boxer and just knew how to dodge real fast. Because when you swing at someone with a sword or with a knife, you're not aiming for the ear, right? You're no better than to aim for the ear, and yet somehow that's all Peter got. Now, imagine for a moment just how tense how tense this situation was. Because the minute Peter drew his sword, cut off Malchus's ear, time stood still. You see, we all know that Judas is the one who betrays Jesus, but Judas here didn't come by himself. It says here that Judas gathered a band of soldiers and some officers. Why? Because there's this fearful anticipation that when they arrest Jesus, riot is going to break out. And that's, that's probably why the chief priests, the Pharisees, they sent, says here they sent their officers, which is really their servants. They sent their servants to go there because they didn't want to get their hands dirty. And that's why Judas most likely brought a band of soldiers armed with lanterns, torches, and weapons. They brought him in order to suppress an uprising. So already the moment was tense. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And so when Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, the tension in the air must have been so dense that you can practically taste it. I mean, will the other disciples attack too? Will riot break out? Will there be bloodshed and violence on the streets tonight? But Jesus here, Jesus here stops everyone in their tracks. He diffuses the whole situation. He tells Peter, put away your sword. This is my father's will. It is my father's will for me to be betrayed, for me to be arrested, for me to be tried, and ultimately for me to go to the cross to hang there for your sins. I will drink this cup that my father has laid before me, and I will go peacefully. See, Jesus here, Jesus has been in full, complete control this entire time. Judas and the Pharisees thought they were going to arrest Jesus by force. They thought they boxed him into a corner, but Jesus disarms them by giving himself over to them freely. And so really, this whole passage, what this whole passage is about, the central truth of this passage, I'm giving to you guys this early, is that Jesus demonstrates his complete control over his death by willingly handing himself over to his betrayer. Jesus demonstrates his complete control over his death by willingly handing himself over to his betrayer. Earlier in John, Jesus says this. Oh, going too far. Jesus says this, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. You see, this authority is clearly seen in this narrative. It's clearly seen throughout this entire scene. The other gospels account, right? The other gospels accounts, when they talk about this scene of Jesus' betrayal and arrest, it tells us that Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. But that doesn't show up here in the gospel of John. Why? Because John wants us to see that Jesus was the one here in control. It may look like Judas betrayed Jesus, but really it is Jesus who turns himself in. Right? It was Jesus who chose to cross this brook. Right? After he did his whole high, priest pray, high priestly prayer, he brought his disciples over, crossed this brook, entered into this garden where apparently he and his disciples frequented a lot. And he, he, he went there because... Judas knew he would go there, but Jesus knew that Judas knew that. And that's exactly why Jesus went there. He went there because he expected Judas to bring his band of soldiers to that exact location. And when they arrived, it was Jesus who acted first. Jesus is the one who says, ask them, whom do you seek? And they answer him, Jesus of Nazareth. See, there's no mistake whom they're looking for. They're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus, the one who proclaims himself to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Jesus here, he didn't hesitate to answer. He, he didn't wait for any, someone else to step in and speak up. Jesus confidently stepped forward and answered them, Again, see here who's really in control. Jesus comes in and he says, I am he. Now, the text here demands that we take a closer look at this, this phrase, I am he. Because in the Greek, Jesus' answer was simply, I am. In the English, it's translated as I am he, I am he which is fine. But in the Greek, it's actually just saying, I am which is a reference back to Exodus chapter 3, where God reveals his name to be Yahweh, I am. You see, Jesus has been using this name, he's been saying this throughout his, his ministry. And every time that Jesus says, I am, his audience knew exactly what he meant. Jesus was proclaiming to be God. And we knew that this is exactly how Judas, the soldiers, and the officers took understood Jesus as well. Because when they heard Jesus say, I am, what did they do? They fell to the ground. You see, Jesus' name alone brought them to their knees. His power, his authority is clearly perceived here. You see, at this moment, Jesus right there and then could have just ended the whole conflict. Right? Jesus, Jesus is God. Judas, the Pharisees, the Roman soldiers, they got nothing on him. With one word, Jesus could have wiped them all out. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they responded again, Jesus Nazareth. And Jesus then reveals to them again that he is the one they seek. I am he. But, he, but then he attaches a command to his answer. He tells them, take me, let my disciples go. Again, look and see who has the authority here. Right? Jesus, 
Jesus, his betrayer, the band of soldiers here, the officers, they crumbled under the tension of the nights. Peter himself, he gave in to the pressure. But Jesus, man, that guy had ice in his veins, right? He stayed cool. He stayed in control. He had a hand, a firm grip on the whole situation. That the passage here, what it tells us, what it shows us, is that the cross, the cross has a certain power, a power that we all need to draw strength from, a power that reminds us that every single day when we face daily pressures from this world, we need to draw power from the cross, that when we face situations that challenges our faith, our beliefs, our Christian values, we don't need to draw up our own swords to defend ourselves or to defend our Lord and Savior because Jesus Christ is the one who is in control. In other words, the cross doesn't need to be saved by us. The cross doesn't need to be saved by us. We are the ones who need to be saved by the cross. That's exactly what Jesus here is demonstrating on this faithful night. Jesus didn't need to be saved. Far from it, we needed to be saved. And so Jesus turned himself in so that he can go eventually to the cross to die for our sins. Jesus is in complete control over his death. He is the one who dictated the terms. He's the one who chose the location. He is the one who surrendered himself. He's the one who, he's the one who told his disciples to back down And so when we come here tonight, as we come here tonight, we're celebrating the cross. Let us remember that a cross didn't just happen by accident. The cross wasn't something that just, oh man, Jesus, he just, he ended up getting caught by soldiers and nailed there. No, Jesus turned himself over. He was in full control. Jesus fulfilled his mission. And that is why we commemorate the death of Christ. Today is Good Friday. And it's only good because Jesus is in control of his death. Jesus didn't die as a victim of outside forces. Jesus died as a victor, crushing Satan and defeating his adversaries at the cross. And so I want to leave with you all just three implications of what it means for Jesus to be in full control of the gospel, of the cross, of his death. Three implications. First, for the older generation, you rightly worry about passing the baton to the younger one. And you should be. You worry about the youth. You've spent years doing ministry. And over the years, perhaps people you've personally discipled, or even your own kids, people you've seen grown up in the church, you see many of them fall away. You see many of them stay by God's grace, but you see many fall away. And you see the culture around us becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. And perhaps you're thinking, how do I defend them? How do I defend the church? How do I keep the younger generation in the faith? I want to encourage you by reminding you that Jesus is the one who laid down his life for his sheep. Why? He says he did it so that he does not lose any single one of them. In other words, the future of the church is in sure hands. It's in the hands of Jesus Christ. And so as you meditate upon the cross tonight, 
I want you to consider the full power and the full effect of Jesus' sacrifice. Right, Jesus said this in Matthew 18, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what, in, so what does that mean? It means, it means that while it is important for us to protect the youth from outside influence, that should not be our top priority. While we should care about providing a safe and caring environment for our kids, that should not be our most urgent responsibility. While we should ensure to leave our homes and church in a good and stable condition for the next generation to inherit, that should not be our number one goal. What is most important, most urgent, our number one priority is that we preach the gospel, the word of God, the cross of Christ to the next generation. Because when they receive that, when they receive Christ, we leave them in the sure and sovereign control of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter understood this after everything here that, that happened. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. What's imperishable? Through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's the cross of Christ that is preached over and over again. That is what secures us for eternity. For the younger generation, I want to bring you into the shoes of Peter a little bit more. You see, on that night of Jesus' betrayal, Peter, again, he felt scared. He felt worried, uncertain, and that fear drove him to seek control of the situation. Right? He thought that if this was the end, let's go down valiantly. If this is the end, let's go down without a fight. Yet Peter, here was a coward. You see, before Jesus and the other disciples, Peter often acted boldly, as if he needed to demonstrate what a great leader he is. But soon after Jesus was arrested, when Peter was alone, he was questioned by a servant girl. A maid. And what did he do? He whimpered like a little puppy and denied Christ. See, Peter wrestles with what many of us wrestle with. Many of us can act like Peter. We can be strong within the church, faithful, a leader, unafraid of the moment. But the minute we step outside of church, into our homes, amongst our friends, into our workplace, we can become fearful and ashamed. Ashamed to, sh to share our faith with our unbelieving neighbors. It's as if when we are before God's people, within God's church, we have to show God just how, just how worthy we are. But outside the church, we're seeking to please men. Friends, I want to invite you to have you, as you meditate upon the cross tonight, I want you to consider how at, on the cross, God deemed you worthy, not because of anything you did, but because of what Christ did. Christ died for your sins. There is, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can add to your salvation. God is pleased to look upon you because of what Jesus did. See, Jesus is telling you the same thing that he told Peter. Put away your sword. There's nothing you can do to win my approval. There's nothing you can do to defend me because I already love you. 
And I want to show you that love by going to the cross for your sins so that you can experience eternity with me. And this is life-changing truth. When Peter realized this truth, Peter was transformed. He realized the way to defend Jesus isn't by using his own strength, isn't by proving himself to Jesus. The way to defend Jesus is by faithfully living the gospel-centered life. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, 16, Peter writes this, Have no fear of them, the, the world, the unbelievers out there. Have no fear of them. Not be, do not be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet, do it with what? Not with a sword, but with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Oh, this is a change, Peter here. You see, when Jesus becomes the core of your identity, you don't have to be afraid of the world, nor do you have to overcompensate for your weaknesses. You just have to live faithfully underneath the security of your Savior. And finally, to any visitors or unbelievers here amongst us, we welcome you here. Thank you for being here with us. Our story here tells us of a servant named Malchus. Malchus, one of the servants of the high priest, he had his ear cut off. Now, in Luke's gospel, it tells us that Jesus heals Malchus's right ear. He heals him. And we don't know what happened to Malchus afterwards, but that night, I mean, that night must have had it huge, lasting impact upon him. I mean, again, try to man yourself in Malchus's shoes. I mean, would you not have paid close attention to Jesus after this night? To a man who miraculously sold your severed ear back into place? And so when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was put on trial, when he was beaten, mocked, and scorned, and ultimately nailed to the cross, I can't imagine Malchus, he must have just been watching the entire time, very intently, very closely. I mean, here's a man where Malchus thought, we have him, we're going to arrest him. But instead, it was Jesus who caught Malchus by surprise. Remember this, on that night, on the night when Jesus betrayed, there was only one sword that was drawn, only one act of violence, and there was only one person who was wounded. It was only Malchus. It was only Malchus who got hurt. I mean, imagine yourself again, if you're Malchus, you must be wondering, how is this fair? Why, why me? I mean, Malchus certainly didn't plan again to fight. He was the servant of the high priest, for heaven's sake. He'd probably been like, why ask me to go? And yet he was there. He wasn't a soldier. And yet when things broke loose, just so slightly, it was Malchus who got hurt. And yet, it was because he got his ear chopped off that Malchus got to meet Jesus personally. Jesus approached him, 
Jesus healed him. Malchus thought he was going there to arrest Jesus, the rebel, Jesus, the disruptor. But instead, the Jesus that Malchus met was Jesus' sympathizer, Jesus, the healer, Jesus, the sovereign son of God. And perhaps some of you are here tonight in a similar situation. Perhaps you've been hurt by the church, by a Peter who just acted selfishly and rashly. Or perhaps you're dealing with a trial that's just outside of your control. And you're wondering, why me? Why me, God? Friends, just as Jesus was in control of this whole situation here, Jesus is also in control of your life. He's in control of your life. And perhaps all the pain and suffering, the trials and tribulations that you've gone through is to lead you to this moment tonight for you to encounter the gentle touch of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who knows your pain and seeks to heal you. And so come and know Jesus. Come know Jesus Christ who gave himself up as a perfect sacrifice to atone for your sin. Because as Jesus was nailed to that cross, as he was nailed to that cross, you will find God's divine love put on maximum glorious display because God poured his wrath that was deserved for you upon his son. He was perfect substitute for your sins. And he did all that so that he can heal you and so that you can come to know him. Come experience Jesus, the one who redeemed you, the one who paid the price so that you can be saved. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So repent and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and experience all of who he is, and that will change your life. That will heal your wounds, and that will renew your hope. We can be sure that Jesus' death accomplishes all of this. We can be sure because Jesus did not remain dead. On the third day, God raised him up from the grave in victory over sin and death, showing the world that this is truly the Son of God. And so come on Sunday and hear more about the good news of the resurrection. Jesus, yes, was in full control of his death, but Jesus is also in full control of his life. Jesus, our hope in life and death. But for tonight, as we gather today in this room, as we gather outside later, commemorating Christ, let us remember the cross upon which our Savior died, a place where he died willingly, a place where he died in complete and full control. Jesus gave his life so that we can be saved and restored to God. Let us glory then in our Redeemer. Let us glory in Christ, the Son of God. Let me pray. Lord, as we come together today to remember 
to remember the cross upon which your blood was spilled for our sins. Let us remember that you did that. You did that so that we could be saved. You did that for us because you, Lord, love us. And so, Lord, if we're coming here today and we may have burdens on our hearts, scars that pain us, I pray, Lord, that we come to you and we lay them all at your feet to experience your gentleness, to experience your healing, to experience your sovereignty, to experience your grace. Lord, remind us, remind us that the cross, yes, is a, it was indeed a, a difficult moment to see our Lord and Savior nailed there, but it was also a glorious moment where we're reminded that you did that all so that we may live in you. Let us celebrate that. And let us remember that. And let us continue, Lord, to, to worship you for all of our days. I pray all this in your name. Amen.